Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, and expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guest is Israel Collier. Israel is a St. Louisan, a social justice advocate, and has a nonprofit in Moldova. But today, we're going to specifically talk, be talking about the case of Bobby Bostic. We'll talk about the specific of what has happened to him and how this story reflects problems within the criminal justice system. So first of all, welcome Israel and thank you for being here. Thank you, Kevin. It's always such a joy to collaborate with MCU. Honestly, over the years, it's been quite a joy. Thank you. Uh, I guess, first of all, let's uh, acknowledge that uh, we're recording this on January 5th, 2021. And today happens to be Bobby Bostick's 42nd birthday. Yes, perfect timing. <laughs> Happy birthday, Bobby. Happy birthday, Bobby. And and he is spending this birthday as uh, he has the previous 24 in prison. So we're going to talk about his case and, and everything that surrounds that. So introduce us to Bobby Bostick and who he is and what are the broad details to his case? Sure. Bobby Bostick is a 42-year-old African-American male who sits in a Jefferson City Correctional Center right now. He has been serving since the age of 17. Um, Bobby essentially was an accomplice to a crime and we want to put that forward first, that this was a crime he committed, a violent one that had weaponry involved, um, basically two burglaries um, on a December night. He held up um, uh, a, a man with gifts for a family as well as a woman and um, took off, basically took over a car. But that's who he is in terms of the prison industrial system, who he is as a human. 42 years old, this dude has written 13 books, eight poetry, five books. And he has been kind and gentle to me personally. Um, we've written back and forth for almost five years now. He's a family man. He misses his family dearly, um, very kind. And he's an advocate, a self-advocate. Like he advocates for himself. My colleague and I, he's Australian. We are both behind the scenes in Twitter, on Twitter and Instagram. And he writes us constantly who he wants us to reach out to. So he's his own advocate. Um, and that's who he is. He's been very kind and gentle to me, very... Um, expressive. Uh, he writes poetry, like I said. He writes literature, like I said. Um, and he's accomplished. He has two degrees, if I'm not mistaken. And he's, in my opinion, a, a reformed gentleman, a rehabilitated human who deserves um, the right to a resentencing and definitely clemency. And tell us a little bit more about how you've become involved in Mr. Bostick's case and, and, and how you communicate with him. Sure, sure. I wrote, actually, it was for MCU, now that I think about it. I wrote for the St. Louis American an article about Raise the Age, which 
I have a question for you. <laughs> How is that going? Um, sidebar. But if we had um, legislation such as raise the age in in um, legislation at the time of Bobby's sentencing, he would not be in prison now, in my opinion. We have a very draconian um, system. And I think that is what we're up against, technicalities. So when I wrote the article for the St. Louis the American, he actually read the article in prison and reached out to me. I got a letter, I think, through a third party. I won't mention the name. And we've been communicating ever since. Even while I was in Moldova, he's managed to get letters across the ocean and we've communicated that way. Okay, so we'll refresh folks' memories. Raise the age is uh, the the legislation that was passed two years ago by mm -hmm. uh, bipartisan uh, approval within the state legislature to make sure that 17-year-olds are tried as juveniles instead of adults. Yep. It, and when Mr. Bostic was uh, it, it, going through his trial, he was 17. He committed his crime at 16. So he would have fallen under that. Um, and you had mentioned what is up with that. And I think we're still waiting to find out what one of the things that we we know is that there wasn't enough funding. It's an unfunded mandate uh, that the legislature put through. So everybody said this is a good idea, but they haven't put any money behind it. So jurisdictions aren't necessarily moving forward. Uh, St. Louis City and St. Louis County are doing their best. Um but other counties within the state um, uh, don't don't have the encouragement to do that. So that is something that's definitely an MCU's plate to make sure that the funding comes through and that mm -hmm. the state legislature comes through on the pro on their promise to juveniles and especially those that are that are seventeen. That'd be great. So, so you established this connection uh, with Mr. Bostic. Uh, so what does that mean to you to be able to advocate for someone that you now have a relationship with uh, through this communication? It's, it's bittersweet because I have to remind myself that this is a person, is he's reformed. However, he was a criminal. And so the first instinct, a human instinct, is to protect myself and my family. Okay, I will be transparent in that. That has been thought a thought process. At the same time, 241 years gives me goosebumps even now as I talk about it. And I've been talking about it for years now. It's inhumane. And with my background, my public policy background, it's unconstitutional and internationally not legit. It's just, it's a no-no in the international world. This is non-humane. There's no other word for it. I, I can't think of another word for it. It's just inhumane. And um, his particular case, the fact that it's based on a technicality makes it even worse. Um, and you would think that our politicians, our legislators would um, commiserate with that. But, you know, people dragging their feet on certain bills um, or using loopholes to advance their agendas, it's it makes you kind of leery of not only our criminal justice system, of course, but um, in terms of hope for Bobby, like what is he grappling on? You know, cause he's still human. Like I, I, I connect with him, like you said, and I wonder how he's doing with the delays, you know, with these loopholes, with um, just people playing with politics and their lives. Cause mind you, Bobby's not the only one. Bobby's not the only one. 
You know, this is one incident. I mean, I, I he's not the only one. Right. And I think one of the things that, that I was, I just wanted to reinforce is something that we talk about a lot at MCU, which is we are better advocates when we have a relationship with people in, in our community so that uh, w- when you get to know Bobby as a human being, then you are even more emboldened to, to advocate for him. Yeah. And encouraged to keep going. Um, even I'm eight hours ahead when I'm in Moldova. It's really hard for me to keep track um, of what's going on here. That's, it's kind of like having two lives at one time. And so the fact that I'm still trying, you know, is, it's not about me at all, but it's just, how do you sit behind bars with a 241 or 242 mark across your forehead thinking, will I ever get out of here? I've served my time. I was 16. These are laws. These are constitutional laws that are being broken. Um, and it seems that we'll get into some of the details um, as, as we continue here. It seems like technicalities keep tripping up his case. It's mm-hmm. always a technicality. Each yeah. step of the way, it's a technicality. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, what surrounded um, Mr. Bostick's sentencing. Uh, most of the time when we talk about criminal justice reform, the focus is on the police. But in this story, it sort of points to the problems inherent in prosecution and the discretion of judges. So tell us some of the details about how he was given a 241-year sentence for a crime where there was a, uh, yes, a weapon was involved, but uh, only a minor injury. Um, and uh, there, there was some question as to how much he was even sort of following versus being an act uh, an active participant in in this particular case. Sure, in in terms of what I know, and I wish I knew more. Um, Bobby was given two hundred and forty one years as so two words to come to mind: concurrent versus consecutive. And unfortunately, he got the worst out of the deal, right? Consecutive. And, and that adds up to 241 years, as opposed to what his accomplice uh, got was 30 years and he was older, right? And so that's one loophole. Now the question is why? Why did uh, um, Judge Baker give him 241 years? Was it because he wrote letters and didn't show remorse? Was it because he didn't really have support at the time? What other reasons we could speculate, you know, all day about why she gave him 241 years? But that's one of my burning questions. Like, what, um, in addition to, you know, just serving 85% of, you know, the time served or the time sentenced? Um, these are all questions that us laymen have that, you know, rarely get answered. And it does seem like that that decision on concurrent versus consecutive was down to the judge's discretion. Um, from what I can tell, it, it's not something in the law that said it had to be one or the other. Mm. That that it, it felt like she was sending a message. Now, she would know better than us, and a, a legal scholar would know better than us. Um, but it, it, if if it was a difference between. 30 years and 40 years, that's one thing, but the difference between 30 years and 241 yeah. is unimaginable. Yeah, it's like, um, like you said, we could speculate all day, but it's like what in, in Bobby's case made her decide, okay, this is it. I've had enough 241 years 
And she literally told this young man, no one will be alive you know, when you see parole, no one. And, and that's personal almost. It's almost like, wow, what in particular happened in this case that she decided at that time, because she's since recanted that um, she wanted to give this young man more than any of us would ever live, let alone, right. Yeah. Any of us would ever live. So. Right. And I, it's, it appears that some of the other facts of the case are that uh, Bobby's accomplice uh, decided to, to um, strike a plea deal and that Bobby may or may not have had the same deal. But a lot of those consequences come down to, do you have representation? Do you have a lawyer? Can you afford the lawyer? What is the advice? And so again, the injustice depends on circumstances, or the justice that's that's dished out depends on circumstances, what you have access to. This is such a good point, Kevin, and this goes across all sectors. I mean, whether you're talking about criminal justice, housing, <laughs> employment, I go through this in advocacy every day, whether it's health, uh, you name it, education, what resources do you have? And unfortunately, you know, like I said, Bobby's not the only one, but you have people sitting in jail because they don't have bail, right? You have people sitting in jail because our uh, public advocates are inundated with cases, right? And in this case, Bobby was encouraged by his family and mentors, hey, don't take the plea. When you take the plea, apparently when you go to trial, uh, it's better to go to trial. That's what I read in one of the articles. Um, so don't take the plea because you're more, you're more um, likely to get a better deal in the hands of hu other humans, 12 other humans, right? And so I think he took that into account, which brings up a good point as far as a 16-year-old. How do we make those decisions at 16? There is plenty of medical research that backs up. We don't even have a fully developed, you know, cerebrum until 21 years old. And even then we don't make really legit, you know, decisions um, in terms of, you know, life decision making. So at 16, how do you take all of that? You're scared. You're going to jail. You have no idea what's going on behind bars. Um, and then to enter, enter that, enter the um, adult criminal justice system, I can't imagine, but I'm sure, nah, I'm not sure, because I don't know. It's got to be a lot. Yeah. And in this case, we're not even talking about the impulse decision when, when the crime was committed. We're talking about trying to navigate a complex legal system yeah. that lawyers go to school for to learn right. and then they practice for years yeah. and even they argue back and forth about the, what, the, what the right thing is and, and, and things along those lines and asking a 16 year old to make that decision is is incomprehensible to me yeah so. ironically our supreme courts can't even get it right um something right. that he messed up he couldn't navigate like you just said they can't even decide even our supreme court now has not giving a firm reason as to why they denied his most recent um, Supreme Court appeal. So. Right. And, and if we step back in, in time, when his decision came down, it was the uh, mid to late 90s. And at this point in time, we're in the Clinton administration, and this was part of the tough on crime era. So this is part of the uh, three strikes and you're out sentencing yeah. rules. A lot of things that we uh, that were advocated for at that time have since proven to uh, actually increase 
the uh, incarceration rate in the United States and has, has, you know, thrown more people in prison for minor offenses than, than should be there. So he's caught also in this historic moment of the mid to late 90s with this tough on crime attitude. And just to add a component, African-American minorities, just to like narrow it in there, um, just from my own perspective, I think to, to not say that is, is a sort of disservice to the black community because we are uh, profiled, we are um, targeted for in the criminal justice system. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. You talked a bit about what, what Mr. Bostic has been doing while he's in prison. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Tell us about some of his achievements and, and, and what he's been up to. Sure. Uh, I mean, Bobby is always busy. Um, he has five books, like I said. One that comes to mind is, I think it's called Diamonds, and another is called Dear Mama. Uh, he's written a lot of poetry. Right now, he's working on a course for illiterate prisoners. Um, and that, like, it blows my mind just thinking about something like that in, in prison. Like, it sort of expands our minds. What is it possible behind bars? Um, Bobby has so many accolades, uh, lots of associates, I know a degree in business. Um, he's always busy. Like, you know, I can't say enough about his own advocacy as well. Damien and I, he's the one behind Instagram uh, at, at uh, it's free Bobby Bostic. Yeah, at free Bobby Bostic. Um, he's always sending us different handles on Twitter to follow or people podcasts to reach out to um, because he's he's been part of this hustle, for lack of a better word, uh, to get him out of there himself. So since uh, Mr. Bostic has been in prison, there have been court cases that have actually related to his Bobby's case that have made it up to the Supreme Court. Can you tell us a little bit about Graham versus Florida? Yes. As far as I know, Graham versus Florida is a representation of Bobby. Basically, the gentleman was 16 years old. Um, they let him free and then they came back and took him and put him in prison for his burglary, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in Graham versus Florida, though, the ruling says that a 16-year-old could not be placed, uh, no, could not be given uh, life without parole. That's what I'm trying to say. And so this is pertinent to Bobby's case because Bobby was given 241 years and not given parole until he's 112 years old. So why is this important? It's important because Bobby will not be alive at 112 years old. So that rule doesn't necessarily apply with him. That's one of the technicalities that we're talking about. And so many people, including myself, get confused on life with parole and life without parole, okay? This is essentially life without parole for Bobby. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, that's what we're, we're dealing with. That's a technicality. And hopefully, um, Representative Schroer just um, put up a bill yesterday, Bill HB 636, just yesterday, um, that essentially edits, I have no idea what I'm saying right now, because I am not a lawyer, <laughs> nor am I a politician, but I would call it editing an old bill and applying it to Bobby's case. And he submitted that yesterday. That's really good news. So let's recap a, a couple of things. So in Graham versus Florida, 
the, the decision that was handed down was that a 16-year-old could not be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Yes. The technicality for Bobby's situation is that he technically was not given life in prison. <laughs> exactly. And he technically has a parole date. Yeah. Although his, life, his, his sentence is 241 years, which no one is going to make it to. And he is not eligible for parole until 112 years old. So it, it in effect is the same, but the technicality has, has meant that um, uh, the, the judicial system has said that it does not apply, does not apply to Bobby in this case. And, And what, what this reminds me of is kind of what we're going through now with, with COVID in the prison system um, in that this is becoming almost a death sentence for those who were not sentenced to death. Yeah. They are facing a life and death situation uh, with this devastating illness. Um, even if that was not their sentence, they, they are right. not be, being given the opportunity uh, for freedom that is promised at, at the end of their sentence. So we, we, we sort of get hung up on the technicalities, but we don't realize that, but we're not talking about what the full picture is uh, in a lot of these That's cases. a very good comparison. Um, yes. And I'm glad you brought up COVID because this is something else like of concern for not just Bobby, for lots of prisoners behind bars who don't have adequate care. Like we have, like some of us have access to who can't like constrict themselves from social distance or, you know, practice social distancing or constrict themselves from other prisoners. It's impossible. Um, so I wholeheartedly agree with that comparison. It's, it's that's a really great. Have you heard from Bobby about um, in any COVID conditions and where he's at or how he's handling the situation? No, there was, I asked specifically about this. Um, In one letter, he mentioned about COVID that basically they're not able to move around. But I've noticed in writing letters to this this man um, that a lot of those details cannot come from behind bars. It's very superficial uh, writing. And so even if he could share that, I don't know that he would, to be honest. Okay. Just to follow up, you had said that uh, Representative Schroer has filed a uh, House Bill 636 um, that will looks to apply um, this uh, ruling to Bobby in this mm-hmm. case. And a uh, uh, fair statement here that Representative Schroer is a Republican, yeah. and it this bill I believe or this this effort got some support last spring bipartisan. Um, in in our Missouri legislature, which is very rare, yeah. So that's something to the actually acknowledge. Age. He's also behind raised the age to be transferred. Right, right. He he actually did help help get that through. Um, so that that's going in front of the state legislature this this year. Yeah. To add to that, um, because I'm, I try to be unbiased. I you know last year they put up. 2201. So I won't get people's hopes up. They put up 2201. That went the whole summer and no one moved on it. And I'm, I'm, I was very upset and disappointed about that. Even though they had the whole summer to work on that bill, to push it through, they pushed through anything else they want to. This bill sat there all summer, even though it was a special session put on by the governor himself. So this forced COVID. So I'm just wondering I hope uh, HB 636 um, is not only edited or 
refined or whatever, but I hope more people get behind. And, and frankly, he's had a lot of support in the past, Bobby, um, from several different representatives um, and, and congressmen and women. However, this, this needs to continue if we're gonna get him out of there. Okay, good. I'm showing my notes uh, that his case specifically did make it to the US Supreme Court. Uh, Bobby's case did. Uh, it was supported by the American Civil Liberties Union and even garnered statements of support from a variety of people, including yeah. Ken, Ken Starr and Sally Yates, some pretty big yeah. name mm -hmm. folks in politics. But then the Supreme Court refused to hear the, the case, refused to take it up at all. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what I've read as well. I, and again, the question is why? Um, in particular, you know, you know, as much as I'm a Missourian, I just don't understand uh, some of the politics here. And I'll leave it at that. Um, a lot of the things we advocate for are absconded by very old policies, unfortunately. And that's, that's what we're battling against this as well. You know, age, raise the age as well. Just so many things we could discuss that are, Missouri is behind it. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, since the, uh, Graham versus Florida case, um, five other states have supported the um, legislation of the ruling. Basically, they've allowed five human beings to be released, basically appreciating the ruling as it stands. But Missouri, for some reason, has not done that with an individual who has 241 years. It just seems inhumane, it's beyond uncon unconstitutional, um, and it's definitely just an injustice, seriously. And there have been other paths that have been tried also, and, and I guess one of them we were hoping for this past December was uh, pardons and commutations directly from the governor, and it, mm -hmm. it seems like that has fallen on deaf ears also. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it was December, like it was the day before Christmas, he pardoned 24 souls, God be the glory for that. And come, you did, um, I think, four different sentences, and none of them were Bobby's. So again, the question is why? What is this governor waiting for? We pushed for that on Twitter. Um, I've never gotten a response personally. I mean, there are other advocates out there for Bobby as well, but I'm, I'm in communication with them. And it just seems like our governor is not moving on pardon, please, let alone Bobby's particular case. It seems like he's tied his political uh, future to a tough on crime stance, and, and no matter what, and and he's sticking to that, um, and 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 not giving an inch one way or the other on that. That's too bad because it, you know, I, I don't mean to speak badly of other humans, but what about the humanity of this? Right. It's inhumane. It's two hundred and forty-one years. No one will be alive. None of us will be alive. First of all, the sentence was cruel and unusual, which our constitution speaks to that. And that is why you have the Florida versus Graham cases, because they speak to that. And five other states have accommodated that ruling. Why hasn't Missouri done the same? Now, since we have a bill coming before the legislature, um, that obviously is something that listeners can advocate for by contacting their representatives about House Bill 636. What other things can people do to, to advocate for Bobby? 
Sure, you can write to Governor Parsons directly. You can tweet him on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow him there as well. You can write to Bobby. You can encourage him in terms of what other political things. So you can sign. Um, there are three petitions out now. One has been out for a really long time. It's change.org. Stop Bobby Bostic from serving an unconstitutional life sentence. And then DIY Roots Action also has one. It's an also unconstitutional life sentence um, without parole sentence for Bobby. But then the ACLU just recently put one out late last year requesting that Parsons specifically grant Bobby clemency. Um, and you can, I mean, you can, like I said, you can write to Bobby. You can um, just reach out to any representative that is involved. Nick Schroer, rather, is one of them. Barbara Washington is another one. She's a big advocate of, of Bobby's particular situation. Um, those are some things. And you can follow us on at free um, Bobby Bostic on Twitter and Instagram for updated information. We try to stay up to date. Um, we are directly in contact with Bobby on a regular basis, both Damien and myself. Um, yeah, those are some things. And in addition to, um, I have to give some shout outs too. I said I would do that because French Coalition Against the Death Penalty, they are also big advocates. Missouri Prison Reform has been super, super helpful for me personally on the Twitter platform. Um, I said the ACLU already. I put down MCU, of course. And Kenya Brumfield um, Young is a tatted professor on Twitter. She's been super, super helpful. She has, um, she's a professor of justice and she's been very, very beneficial towards just advocating for Bobby and getting, getting us straight on the law jargon because my, my background is totally in, in science and medicine. And I'm like, what, you know? So yeah, just keeping us on our toes in terms of the information. Okay, great. And we'll put uh, links to all of these in the description for the podcast. If you're listening, uh, no matter which app you're listening in, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in there so you can easily get to that. So, so thank you for that. Um, you had mentioned writing to Bobby directly. Tell me why that's important. He's human. And I have no idea what's going on in his mind, even as like we speak. This is his 42nd birthday. Who wants to spend their birthday behind bars? None of us even can fathom that idea, right? Um, and words of encouragement, that human interaction, there's research to support this, is so important. Think about us being in a pandemic, you know, stuck inside. We're always, you know, um, what's this saying? Scratching at the bit. Well, how can we get outside? How can we go and do things, it's because we're lacking that sort of human interaction. So I think encouraging words, poetry, try not to send um, pictures or cards because it kind of distinguishes prisoners, um, just to encourage him, to tell him that keep going, don't get into trouble, stay focused, keep writing. Those things I think are so important for him in these last hours, because I really think we're closer. I, I believe it. I just believe we're closer. And I wanted to wrap up by, uh, Israel, just tell us a little bit more about the work that you do. Um, and, and how do you see that work in advocating for Bobby Bostic uh, as being related in sort of uh, your mission in life or, or what, what motivates you? Yeah, um, I've worked with MCU actually, and uh, public policy is a passion of mine. I, I now have a master's in public policy thanks to Central European University in, in Budapest, Hungary. And I have been in advocacy for a while now. Anything across any sector, 
I pretty much try to tackle, but I do focus on criminal justice reform, um, education, and of course, uh, Roma rights and immigrant rights in the Republic of Moldova. So my nonprofit, Copori, which is Romanian for to cover, basically helps immigrants and Roma. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Roma, but I can explain that if you're not. Um, find housing when they are left homeless. Um, anytime you're in a, how do I say this, homogenous country like the Republic of Moldova, people who stand out are often marginalized across all sectors, be it housing, education, employment, or healthcare. And housing is the area that we try to focus on. Okay, and remind our listeners uh, about the uh, plight of the Roma and and how they fit into that, uh, I guess, Central and South Central European mixture. Yeah, so this is Eastern Europe, but you will find Roma all throughout Europe. Um, you will find Roma here in the United States, actually. And Roma, um, there, you know, I often give this explanation to make it simple because it would take a whole nother podcast. They are the Black people of Europe. Anything that you can think of that African Americans uh, are discriminated against, that's similar to Roma. Now, I would never compare African-Americans to Roma. That's different because they have their own uh, discriminatory practices towards them. But I think of it as discriminations in general. So like I said, healthcare, employment, education, um, housing, these are all things that apparently Roma are seen as less than in terms of benefiting from these rights. And I would guess that from what my understanding too, that that history is at least as long as uh, the the struggle of African-Americans on this continent. Even longer. Hundreds of years. About a hundred and so years longer. Okay. All right. Yep. Got it. They also were a target during World War II by the Nazis. And, but that just like, just Uh, like, just like the Jewish uh, residents of Europe, that discrimination goes back before even. World yeah, War II, they were so. talking Roma. Yes, exactly. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So thank you very much, Israel Collier, for being a guest today. Of course. And uh, your credentials are that you are a St. Louisan who is passionate about social justice and advocate for for those who need it. But you also have a nonprofit in Moldova that you work at professionally. To learn more about MCU, go to the Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. And we'll put links to all of the the, uh, advocacy uh, things that we talked about in our description. So go ahead and click on those. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.